There are plenty of smart people in this country, tons of them. And the question has always been, how do we get them to the best jobs? The CIA knew how to do that, but a lot of private employers did. Hi, and welcome to uh, Tech News This Week. I'm your host, Tech Target News Director, Anton Gonsalves. Today, we'll discuss the latest product news from Juniper Networks, Salesforce's AI plans, and tech layoffs that don't seem to be slowing down. First up is Juniper. Gartner rates Juniper Networks a leader in uh, the wired and wireless land infrastructure, but they also joined Cisco, Hewlett Packard Enterprises, Aruba, and Extreme Networks in that Gartner magic quadrant. Uh, Juniper this week introduced a new technology that it calls a campus uh, fabric workflow. Here to explain what that is, is Bob Lalibert, an analyst with Tech Target's Enterprise Strategy Group. Welcome, Bob. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Anton. Great to be here. All right. So um, what is a campus fabric uh, workflow and why should our viewers care about it? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, for a lot of time, there's been a lot of uh, fabric that's been deployed in the data center. And what you're seeing here is Juniper being able to do a couple things. One, taking that and extending that fabric out into the campus environments. As you know, right now, there's a lot of reimagining of campus networks. People are trying to figure out with hybrid work how to best deploy solutions. And this is an example twofold of them trying to Take something that's typically maybe a little bit more sophisticated and complicated like this, these, these fabrics, the, the EVPN, VXLAN fabrics, you know, layer two, layer three, and simplify them. So the workflow is basically simplified just down to three steps to be able to have organizations create a fabric in their campus environment. And they've done that through what we refer to as the, the mystification process. So they've taken the, the technology they got from Mist AI and they are slowly in court. I, I don't know if I should say that's probably not even the right word. Slowly, they've been aggressively deploying that technology across their SD WAN, across the the wired infrastructure, as you're seeing here, to enable organizations to drive greater operational efficiencies and to be able to accelerate troubleshooting and things like that. So essentially, what you're seeing is a new fabric environment for the campus and simplified deployment, so they can accelerate it and, and realize the benefits faster. Okay, when you say extend the fabric, they're extending the fabric from the data center to the uh, to the wireless? Well, it's going to be basically this. They already have a fabric in the data center. So when I say they're extending it, they're they're enabling the, the campus environment now to have that fabric environment is, you know, in a, in a very easily consumable way. Hmm. So typically, right, when you're building out fabrics, it would require a lot of thought and process and testing and so forth. And by leveraging the experience that they have in building fabrics, and also the integration of the MIST AI, it really helps organizations to simplify that deployment of a fabric environment within the campus. And along with that announcement, uh, Juniper also introduced an, what they're calling an AI-driven cloud-operated switch. It's something new hardware for their, in their EX series. Uh, so uh, is there anything particularly special about the hardware? Uh, well, again, it, it's that that mystification process where they're adding the intelligence into that switch line. Um, this is the latest in their their EX series portfolio, uh, and what they're doing again is is they're targeting it for those those campus environments. And you know, so typically, um, you know, ten gig distribution 
or maybe even a small core device for the campus, uh, depending on, on how organizations want to set up their environment. But like I said, that ability to optimize it with the MIST AI enables that reduced deployment times, you know, things like zero touch provisioning. So it can be quickly and easily deployed, a lot of automated workflows. And then for the day two pieces, that accelerated troubleshooting for the devices. So, um, you know, event correlation, the proactive uh, anomaly detection, things like that. Um, and also, I believe with this one, they're also going to enable the micro-segmentation. So especially for organizations looking at deploying IoT devices in the campus, uh, it's going to allow you, enable you to run those group-based policies with micro-segmentation so you can fully isolate your IoT devices as well. Uh, a couple of things that Gartner mentioned about Juniper is one, uh, they're expensive. They they did ding them on uh, on pricing. They also mentioned that uh, companies that prefer uh, on-premises management software, uh, they they wouldn't get the same capabilities from Juniper's um, uh, cloud-based. Pretty much all the vendors have cloud-based management. So uh, you know quickly if you can, uh, companies that want on-premises management software, are they kind of out of luck right now? in terms of getting the same capabilities? Well, yeah, the, the big difference is in order to enable that intelligence, you need to have a source of data to back that up. So the mm -hmm. transition in networking, we've seen a lot of vendors move to cloud-based network management so they can incorporate all that data and leverage it to drive their algorithms and to improve their AI insights into that solution. Some organizations will allow both. You can have cloud, you can have on-prem. Typically, if you are gonna have on-prem, you know, obviously there, there might be some lag in the devices or, or the algorithms and things like that being updated. And that's gonna be predicated on how often the customers want it to be updated, right? If it's in the cloud, it's as fast as the backend is moving and as fast as the developers are moving to add and implement new technology there. And then it's automatically implemented, right? So all that life cycle patching, upgrading is all done for you. If you have it on premises, then you're going to have to decide when you wanna upgrade and how often. So there could be a lag between the two. But like I said, the, the big driver behind this cloud-based management is so that they can get that data so they can derive those intelligent insights. Okay, next up is, uh, is Salesforce. You know, lately it seems that uh, just about every large tech company is launching a generative AI service uh, that is either homegrown or uses uh, chat GPT. This week, uh, Salesforce said it would tap ChatGPT, which is developed by OpenAI, uh, to help salespeople, customer service agents, and marketers get more information uh, for doing their job. Here to explain what Salesforce is up to is uh, our AI reporter, TechTarget's AI reporter, Esther Zhao. Uh, so what is Salesforce uh, up to with this uh, chat GPT announcement? Yeah, so they're doing what everybody else is doing, which is they're kind of, I don't want to say cashing in, but they're joining this old chat GPT generative AI movement that's coming on. So they're jumping into GPT market like everybody else, like Samanova, like, like basically everybody is doing it. Um, and what obviously Salesforce has a long history of using AI. And so now they're just putting AI into their product. Um, Slack and whatnot. And so it's just uh, basically they're going along with the ride just like everybody else. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting that they, they already have AI, like a lot of these companies are already using machine learning or AI. Mm-hmm. And they had a product called Einstein AI. Yeah. Uh, and now they've changed the name to Einstein GPT. Mm-hmm. Is, there a, is there any difference between uh, the old Einstein and, uh, and the new Einstein? Well, now it's like you're going to have this Einstein help with supercharging NLP cap- capabilities. It will be helpful in anticipating tax for salespeople, um, just making sales software work faster and making it more intuitive. Um, so basically, uh, it's just, once again, getting into that generative AI market um, and helping salespeople um, work fast, uh, smarter um, and maybe faster, but just uh, making it more effective and more efficient. And uh, they didn't say when they're going to release this new version of Einstein, Einstein GPT. So it's uh, it's kind of a wait and see at this point as to what they'll actually uh, deliver. I mean, are you confident that Salesforce will um, will give us uh, AI as the, as promised? Um, I mean, based on like obviously um, the people I've spoken to, my ed- my editor um, as well as my colleague Mary Ryan, I'm very confident as any- as anybody is in what these vendors will do. You know, it's just a wait and see approach, basically with all vendors. But they're partnering OpenAI, um, and we know that OpenAI has been successful in the past. Obviously, OpenAI is successful at making things that people really care about, and so with this partnership, I think they will be successful, and I am confident them but you know you never know what vendors all right finally uh it's a scary uh it's a scary uh, time to uh, be working for a tech company you know since october the global tech industry has cut 137,000 jobs. Uh, companies that have sent uh, workers packing include amazon uh, google owner alphabet microsoft and Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Analysts say the tech industry could shed more jobs in the coming weeks. You know, here to explain why tech workers are being sent to the unemployment line is Tech Target's workplace reporter, Patrick Thibodeau. So so tell me, are the layoffs uh, solely a result of overhiring before the economic downturn? Are there other factors at play? That's the major reason. Right. COVID clearly accelerated um, the idea that we were going to move to a digital economy and um, but not at the pace that many of these firms plan for. But let's put this in perspective. Let's see what's really going on here. I mean, Microsoft increased its workforce in two years from one hundred sixty three thousand to two hundred twenty one thousand globally. They cut ten thousand. So there's still a net gain is significant. Now, the second reason. Yeah, sure. There are fears of recession, fears that the debt ceiling may blow up. There's fears that, you know, all kinds of bad things can happen. But third, and this is a little more hard to quantify, but it's real, that automation improvements are helping. For instance, in recruiting, HR has been hit hard by a lot of tech firms. And there is some thinking out there and a lot of theories out there that, um, you know, the use of AI, which is used to sort candidates, is reducing the need for recruiters. Um, And robotics process automation. That's still a very real thing. You don't hear about it too much, but it's very real. And um, it's it's being used more and more to manage finance and supply chains and things like that. And that's reducing the need for workers. And fourth, this is a little more forward looking, but we've gotten very used to working remotely. And why does remotely stop at national borders, right? It's as easy to hire somebody in Canada today as it is in UK or Argentina or Brazil, wherever. 
And there are a lot of firms that have popped up. I've been watching them in the past couple of years that specialize in making it easier to hire remotely internationally. So I think we're going to see more of that. Oh, so does that mean that uh, net there'll be fewer, uh, there'll, be a, there'll be less need for workers? So more unemployment in the tech industry or some kind of a stabilization in it? I think we have to deal with the fact that the world is globalizing and it has been globalizing for a while. It's been globalizing in terms of services, service uh, providers, right? Infosys and other offshore outsourcing companies. But now any firm has the ability to say, where's our labor pool? And they say our labor pool is international. And so they not only think about hiring somebody from Connecticut or California, they think about hiring somebody from India or the Philippines or the United Kingdom. I mean, I would think that the layoffs in the tech industry would be uh, good news for like manufacturers, retailers, healthcare institutions, uh, you know, non-tech enterprises, because now they've got a, a larger pool of engineers to hire. Totally. Right. Let's put this in perspective. Tech industry hiring or tech employment, right, has risen for 24 straight months until January. It went down 15,000. Now, there are about 5.5 million people employed in tech jobs. The number, the number, the amount of shrinkage in the actual tech labor force is not even a rounding error or is a rounding error. It's very few people. The top employers right now, and this is according to CompTIA's analysis, mm-hmm. are finance like Capital One and City, defense like Lockheed Martin, and consulting firms like Deloitte. So, yes, there's a lot of hiring going on. It's just not by the Googles and the Microsofts at this moment. But those companies are going to ramp up again, for sure. Sure. And I would assume that those other uh, enterprises, uh, the the wages are competitive uh, to to bring in the talent. And if you talk about, uh, you know, talent in general in IT, it's it's hard to find. You know, the the universities aren't pumping out enough uh, engineers. So um, the companies, uh, the tech companies that are laying off people today, Uh, Do you expect them to have trouble to fill positions later on when the economy uh, turns around, which it will eventually? Absolutely not, for for a couple of reasons. But let's go back in history a little, right? In 1941, right, the British government was, you know, was under attack by Germany, right? So Mm -hmm. they hired the top academic people like Alan Turing, the father of artificial intelligence, the father of computing, father of basically everything. But they also hired people who did well on cryptographic crossword puzzles, people who won contests. This happens today. Our, our, our National Security Agency and our CEA have long hired people based on their skills. Edward Snowden, right? Everybody knows him. He's the best well-known example. He dropped out of high school, earned a GED. He had a few community college courses. He was hired by the CIA. And we all know that he's, an, he's a remarkably intelligent person. They know how to hire people with skills. For too long, the big tech companies were hiring out of MIT, Stanford, Carnegie Mellon. They're chasing degrees. But there's been a whole shift in thinking. We've seen the rise of coding boot camps. We've seen the rise of the, you know, the massively online college courses. And so the thinking is let's hire people based on skills. And so a lot of big companies, including the U.S. government, are dropping their skills requirement or their college degree requirement, saying we're going to hire based on skills. So this is opening the door to a much wider labor pool than we've ever had in the past. So no, there are plenty of smart people in this country, tons of them. And the question has always been, how do we get them to the best jobs? The CIA knew how to do that, but a lot of private employers didn't because recruiters were in the habit of just 
we need to hire from Carnegie Mellon because we know we get good talent from Carnegie Mellon, right? Well, that thinking has shifted. All right, and uh, that wraps it up for uh, for this week's show. You know, thanks for watching uh, and enjoy the weekend. I'll see you next Friday.